0: opening prayer Lord we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word we ask you to guide and lead and show us what you would want us to see from this section of scripture in your son's precious name Amen Luke chapter 15 is three different parables in this chapter we're going to be looking at two of the three parables they all have the same general theme so next week will be the same general theme but I didn't think I could take all three parables on the same same week and the third one is the parable of the prodigal son, and it's got enough information in it that I wanted to bring out, so I'm going to take it separately. The first two is the lost sheep and the lost lost coin. So we're going to look at these uh, for just a moment, but starting at verse one in chapter fifteen of Luke. Then drew unto him all the publicans and sinners to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he spoke this parable unto them, saying, What man among you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repents, more than ninety-nine just people with no need with no, with, which need no repentance. Either that what woman, having 10 pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house until, and seek diligently till she find it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I have lost. Likewise, as I say unto you, there is joy in, in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. This is kind of an interesting section of scripture because it shows us the difference between the way people see the lost world and and righteous people oftentimes see the right lost world and the way God sees them. So we're going to take the very first sentences that started this whole message. Lots of people that weren't, weren't righteous people were coming to see Jesus, publicans and sinners. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing because we're all sinners, you know. but there's a lot of times when people go to church all their life, they get saved, the the scribes and the Pharisees, they didn't really see themselves as sinners. They said, we've gone to the temple, we've offered offered our sacrifices. Uh, They were even a little crazier. We even keep God's rules in between sacrifices for the most part, and we're not sinners. We don't go out purposely sinning. And Jesus is meeting with all these people that they look down their noses at. And I hope our church will never do that. I don't, I don't want that to happen. But there are churches that kind of look down their nose at somebody. You know, because they don't look right, they don't act right, they don't smell right, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be. I went to one church where this guy purposely got guys that were actually Christians, but they looked like bikers with their tattoos and their, and their leather, and he'd bring them to church just to see how they were going to be treated. You know, which was quite an interesting way to do it, uh, to see what would be happening. And for the most part, the church re- responded well to them. And I hope our church would. We've had people come in that, like that, and we've, we've welcomed them as far as I, as far as I know. Uh, but, you know, these scribes and Pharisees said, Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? Why are you hanging out with the rift-raff of the area? Now, now, this is something, and we talk about this a lot, should we always hang out with those type of people? Probably not, it's probably not the greatest thing. Can we avoid them altogether? Well, I hope not because if you're avoiding them and you're only hanging out with Christians, you're never gonna be able to evangelize anybody. Now, one of my problems being a pastor is I spend almost all my time with the church except for what I'm working at the prison. That gives me a hard time being able to witness to people unless I'm you know, witnessing to them as I'm out and about the stores and everything. But you know, the scribes and Pharisees, they kept everybody at a distance. If you're not good enough to be one of us, then you can't be in our in our group. Now, that's a sad place to be. You know, we don't want it to be that bad. You know, if you're one of those like myself that have trouble finding something, you know, get a job where you were sinners or get a hobby with your out sinners, you know, you know, join a bowling league, a knitting club, a book club, anything to get you out with other sinners. Because if you don't get to meet people, there's no way to give the gospel out to them. Jesus spent time, he spent most of his time, of course, with the disciples and with his, and with his followers. But he didn't reject those that were seeking after God and coming to him for information. And the scribes and Pharisees, they looked at him and said, uh, hey, what's wrong with you? Jesus, you're hanging out with sinners. Are you a sinner? That's part of our problem sometimes as Christians. We don't like to hang out with sinners because people might think that we're a sinner. I got news for you, you are anyway, so don't worry about it. (laughs) The scribes and Pharisees didn't think they were. Now, Jesus obviously was not. And he wasn't worried about being drugged down into their sin. But we need to be able to understand that we're no better than anybody else. And this is what this whole story really boils down to. Scribes and Pharisees thinking, we're better than them. You know, Jesus, you, if you really want to be part of our group, the righteous, stuck in the nose, uh, air, uh, nose, stuck in the air people, then you better quit hanging out with those sinners. And Jesus would turn around and say, well, if I'm not with the sinners, then, then who should I be with? You know. And, and one time he says that, you know, the physician goes to the sick. Can you imagine being a doctor and you don't want to be around sick people? you'd have a really big problem. You wouldn't make any money because the healthy aren't gonna come and see you. Uh, if you're a defense attorney and you won't hang out with people that need, need help. Uh, oh, sorry, you, you, you're accused of doing bad things. I can't help you. Well, you're in the wrong line of, line of work. And Jesus is coming to them and saying, you have a problem. You are seeing these people as worthless. And this is one of the things I have for us as Christians is what value do we put on the souls of people? How do we look at them? Do we look at them as worthless or of great value? God looks at them that they're so valuable that he died on the cross for them. And that to me is an amazing thought. Then he died for us as Christians because we were lost sinners and enemies of him before he died and we accepted him. We were his enemy. And he said, I love them so much. They have such great value that I'll die for them. I can't imagine that. You know, I I have only a handful of people that I might even consider maybe dying for, and I like all of them. (laughs) I can't imagine going out and dying for somebody that I don't know and don't like, that's an enemy. Jesus went to the cross while we were His enemy. While the the enemy of those people that we're looking down our nose on because we've accepted Him and we're following Him, we're trying to get righteous and we're trying to get our life together. And we're going, well, I don't know about that person. What if anybody had taken that attitude toward us before we were saved? And I think about that, you you all know I got saved when I was very young, but I wasn't a very nice kid. I was one of those kids you didn't want around. I was rebellious and argumentative and I fought with everybody. If I'd had people take their attitude, well, we don't want him because he's not worth anything, I would be lost. We can't be taking that attitude, and this is the attitude that the scribes and Pharisees had with Jesus. Every time they saw him, it's gone, why are you hanging around with all those sinners? And Jesus, every time they asked him that, he goes, because they need it. And a story here, the two stories are very similar. The first one is the story of a hundred sheep and one of them getting lost. Now I think it's kind of interesting because there's no way just one sheep would get lost out of the, out of the example. But take, take a story for what it is. The shepherd has lost one of his sheep. You know, and you, we think about this. What kind of shepherd loses his sheep? You know, uh, you know, was, it, was he not watching or something? But I don't want to go too far that way because you know what? God lost the entire world because of Adam and Eve's sin. And he was watching. What's worse is he already knew that they were going to do it. You know, it would be more like he had two or three sheep, and he went to seek the other ninety-five. But we're not going to go there on that. You know, but the value of this is he's saying one sheep is lost, one lamb is lost in your flock. What are you going to do to find that sheep? And you know, I have never met a a shepherd in person, but I've done a lot of reading about shepherds because God talks about shepherds all the time. And this is apparently true, that a true shepherd who cares for his flock will go out and seek the lost lamb, the lost sheep. You know, for one thing, I know that sheep are dumb. You know, when God calls us sheep, He's not not giving us a compliment. And I've I've shared with you, I, I had a friend who had, he only had about six or seven sheep, I'd go to his house for prayer once a week, and there was this little tiny hill in the middle of his pasture. I mean, when I say a hill, it's probably only about three or four feet high. And every once in a while, one of the sheep would get on the other side of the hill and couldn't see the other sheep. And we'd be in the middle of praying, and you'd hear this sheep just screaming out, bah, 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 bah. And he'd go, just a moment. And one time I went out to actually see what he was doing and he'd go out where the, where the sheep would be able to see him, call the sheep, get him around to where the sheep could see the other sheep, and the sheep would be okay. And it had just walked about four or five feet to the other side of the hill and couldn't see everybody else. The shepherds need to know their lambs, they need to know their sheep. How many times do we do that kind of thing to God? God, I'm kind of lost, I forgot, you know, I don't see you anymore. Where are you? I walked into something and I don't know how to get out of it, and I'm I'm panicking. I've been there, and I'm sure everybody else has been there at some point in time. You know, God, uh, where, where'd you go, God? You're you're lost. Yeah. You know, uh, I remember one time shopping with the kids, and one of the kids got left on the next aisle over because they weren't following with us, and all of a sudden you heard this scream. You know, saying, you know, and you're going, okay, you know, walk around. We're over here. <laughs> How easy for it is, how easy is it for us to panic when we don't see what God is doing or understand the reason? And God says, I am the good shepherd. I will go seek that lamb. What is the value of the lamb? Now in practical terms, lambs were very valuable. They, they gave you wool every, every couple times a year. Uh, they were used for the sacrifices in the, in the temple. Uh, they would be used for dinner if you got hungry enough. They were quite valuable, so they lost something that had some great value or potential value. And sheep are also an animal that does not do well by itself. Now they technically can, if they, everything worked right, live without a without being guarded. But they are the only animal out there that does no natural defenses. They can't get their hooves very high to to attack. The rams can get can get some horns on the on them to be able to defend but they're not usually aggressive animals they just like to butt things with their heads you know, uh, but they're not that aggressive an animal the wolves and 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 those things can kill a sheep with real ease because they're not very fast if they do fall down they're in trouble because that wool is very heavy and unless they can get their legs to push up they'll they'll stay and that's actually I looked it up and they can if they fall down they can die uh, they don't. If they, you know, David in Psalm 23 says that he takes them, he that they water them by still waters. And I read up about that, and that's because if they even see a leaf or something float by, they will follow that leaf with their head and fall over into the into the pond or the river or the lake or whatever, and drowned in most cases because then their wool gets wet and they can't get up. You know, and God calls us sheep. <laughs> you know, how many times do we fall down because we're watching watching the world and? and fall down and end up uh, maybe not drowning, but kind of maybe wishing we had drowned. And he says, the shepherd goes out. And when he finds the sheep, he says, come and have a party with me and enjoy this. And then he talks about the woman who has 10 coins. Now we're going, okay, she has 10 coins, big deal. Well, these are, these are drachmas or denaria. Each one of these coins is worth one day's wages. She loses an entire day's wage somewhere in her house. Now, we kind of think it's interesting. We, live, we talk about living paycheck to paycheck and how it's difficult to live paycheck by cha- paycheck. It's not new. If you didn't have a farm or anything and you actually had to work for somebody, you lived paycheck by paycheck. In their day, paycheck by paycheck was day to day. You went to work, you got paid that day, and you bought your stuff you needed for that day's food or the next day's food. You went out to work the next day and earned the money to to get the next day's pay. How she ended up with 10 days' pay in her possession, I have no idea. She's been very frugal. She's been very good. But she loses a full day's wage. Now, I don't know about any of you, but if I somehow lost a full day's wage, I'd be looking very hard for where that money went to. Very hard indeed, and she said Jesus says, she turned on the, she lit a candle, she swept the house, and you know, I, I believe him, He didn't really talk about it, but I think this sweeping is going to be in a little big panic. Where did that go? Where, where is that coin you know, And the, the coin I saw in and it wasn't that big a coin.' about the size of a quarter for, for the full day's wage. How easy would it be to lose a, lose a quarter? Pretty easy and she's tearing that place apart, looking for a full day's wage. Also kind of tells us God puts a great place on us. He's He's not saying that we are worthless. And this is one of the things that these stories really impress me on, the value that God places on us. The scribes and Pharisees said, Those losers out there, they don't know God, they're they're not worth even spending any time, we're not gonna give them any effort. And Jesus says, every effort needs to be given. Every effort is important. Those of you who've been in my office, you know there's a sign on the wall that says, what is the value of one soul? And I really wanna impress that on us. What is the value of one soul? What are you willing to do for one person to come to Christ? If I lost my life and only one person came to to God because of that, it was worth it. If I give up things so that one person could come to Christ and they come to Christ, it was worth it. We need to be able to change the way we look at things. When When bad things happen to us, usually we're going, oh, woe is me, it's terrible, everything's bad. But if we stay faithful with God and people see that faithfulness, they may be encouraged in saying, I want what they have. I want what they have because it is valuable. It is important to them. The disciples went through torture and imprisonment and martyrdom so that people would come to Christ. Jesus went to the cross so the world could come to him. Now, we're not going to get the world coming to us, don't get me wrong, but are we willing to go through hard times so that somebody else can see Christ? I've recommended many times Fox's Book of Martyrs to, to you all, and I know it's a very hard read, so you need to be ready for it. If you're going to read it, it's a very hard book to read because it talks very clearly of how evil men can be to other men. But the thing that really impresses me is each one of them were willing to die so that Christ would be lifted up. And we're still talking about most of them, 2000 years, 1500 years, 500 years later, we're still talking about those people that gave their life. They're still witnessing to this world. I don't remember how many of you remember, I guess it's 15, 20 years ago now, the Coptic Christians that were executed by the Muslims on 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 a video. They were told to repent or die and they cut their heads off on videos. most of the videos didn't show us their heads being cut off, they saw us lining up. But you know, what really impressed me is that they were singing praises to Jesus and praying for their captives as they were being executed. And people still remember their their death and still remember the sign that God put in in, in for them to see. Do we understand the value that suffering can mean for other souls? people saw that and going, wow, what kind of people would do this do this for others? Who, who has something so important that they are willing to die for it? And this is important. How important is God to you? Now, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to die for Christ? Now we are very fortunate we live in America. We have not had practically any suffering for, for reality. You know, we, we may get teased, we may get kicked out of a group once in a while because of, because of our Christianity, but up to this point, we have not had to face imprisonment or death. The world is changing. If you look around and you look, at, you look on the internet and you look at the comments about any righteous act going on and you see the vitriol that people have against it and the anger and the, this person should be thrown into prison and the key thrown away because of their attitude. It's not going to be long before we, in this country, may be facing imprisonment and martyrdom. And, you know, I'm not trying to scare people, but I'm saying we need to get ready. We need to make our decision now that we're going to be saying, God, I will serve you to the end if necessary. The disciples, I love their attitude, you know, when they were being beat, they didn't, their, their attitude wasn't, this is unfair, God called us to preach, and now we're being beat and thrown into prison. That was not their attitude. Their attitude was, thank God we have been found worthy to suffer. Would that be our attitude here in America? Our church has heard it enough times that you might, that might be our attitude in our church. There's a lot of churches where most of the people in that church would be going, this is not fair, I'm going to get a lawyer and defend myself, and we're going to make sure that these people pay the price for having, having done this. Well, I have no problem. If you, if you have really been wronged, go get a lawyer and defend yourself, but also be worth understanding that if you've been identified with Christ and you found found worthy of suffering by God, it's a great thing. And I have no problem, go get a lawyer, get defense, because we do have a lot of laws currently in the books to protect us. But we have a wicked enough government and judicial system that you may not win the case. And then you're going to need to be saying, thank God I have been found worthy to suffer for him. All of this comes down to what is going on. You know, this, these two people had lost very valuable items and they searched hard and diligently. God is sending his people to diligently search for what has been lost. That's our job as Christians, we are to make disciples. We are to give the gospel message, bring people to Christ, plant seeds, water, actually get the privilege once in a while of saying a prayer with them and leading them to Christ. Most of us will spend most of our time just planting seeds and getting watering watering the seeds. And I'm going to tell you right now, do not be jealous if somebody else leads somebody to the Lord that you've been talking to for a long time. It happens, and usually you get to lead somebody to the Lord that somebody else has been watering and planting the seeds for, because very few people respond the very first time they hear the gospel. I've been teaching kids most of my life, and it takes the kids many times to hear the gospel message before they respond. Adults, it takes them many times to respond to the gospel. I don't know how they figured it out, but they say in evangelism classes that everybody has to hear the gospel message seven to ten times before they finally respond. I don't know if that's a true statement. I have no idea how they figured that out. I do know that I heard the gospel message several times before I got saved, and I know most everybody else does. I've talked to people and they've given their testimony, and they'll go, and that was the first time I heard the message. And it's really interesting when I had talked to them many times before and I'm going what happened what about the other five times that I told you the message but you know but I also understand it probably was the first time they actually heard the message. The other the other times it went in the ears, hit the brain and got stuck someplace where they didn't remember it. And then all of a sudden one time it hit their hit their brain and all of a sudden it meant something. You know, and we all know that there's lots of times when people hear, you know, well, we're going to say they ignored us. <laughs> you know, they, they heard without responding. You know, wives, you get to talk to your husband 100 times before they finally hear you. Uh, you know, and usually it is the first time we hear is when we finally get up and do something about what we heard. But you know, oftentimes this is what's going on. We are to go out and witness. But our job does not stop once they get saved. All right. Person getting saved, that is not the end of, our, end of our job. We need to then get them discipled. Now, we may not be in a place where they go. That may mean that we help them find a church or find somebody to help disciple them. But I'm hoping, and I've shared this with you, each one of us who is a Christian should be discipling at least somebody else. At least one other person should be discipled. And you're going, well, I've only been a Christian for three months. Well, you're three months ahead of somebody else. Now, if you've been a Christian for years and decades, you should be a long ways ahead of somebody else. Find somebody and impart knowledge. And you're going, well, why is that important? Well, there's an axiom that is out there, if you really want to learn something, teach it. And it's really important, if you really want to learn something, teach somebody else how to do it because then you really learn about it. So you want to learn to follow God, teach somebody to follow God. Now having said that, you should also have somebody that you go to as your discipler. I've been following God for you know, over 50 years, and I still have a couple people that I go to. When I have a question, I go to them. Now, they probably don't want to see me with my questions at this point in time, but I have people that I bounce things off of because I trust their godly input. And I have a couple people that come to me outside of this church that come to me with questions. Now, most of the questions I look at and I've heard a 100 times and I can answer with no problem. I have one person who is the one that I'm going, do I want to hear this person's questions? (laughs) Why? He's my oldest son. He's grown up learning from me. (laughs) He pretty much knows the things that I can teach him. When he comes to a question, it's usually a question that I have to go, well, let me go do some research. And actually go and dig in and find some some information. But we need, we even need that kind of person in our life to be able to challenge us beyond where we are. Because if you're not challenged, you will never grow any stronger. You know, I don't know how many of you know much about weightlifting, but you know, if you're going to go do lift weights, you have to lift a weight that strains your muscles. You know, uh, you know. I don't even try to lift Sam's bar barrels because I I can't curl I can't curl his little dumbbell 45 pound dumbbell. He curls them all day long, or he did. I don't know if he's still doing it, but you know, he curls these things. And I'm going I can I can barely lift them with two hands, and he's curling them. Now I could take this pen out of my pocket. I could curl, curl this all day, and I'm not going to get any I'm not going to get any muscles from curling this little two ounce pen. <laughs> Now, I might get a little bit if i just out of sheer reputation, but I'm not going to build any muscle trying to use this. For us, as we walk with God, we need to challenge ourselves, challenge what we believe, where where we are with God. This is what God does to us. He gives us all kinds of tests to say, are you going to trust me? You say that you believe me in this area, and he gives us a challenge and says, do you really believe me? Unfortunately, myself included, we oftentimes fail. (laughs) And we're going, wow, maybe I don't believe God as much as I think I do. Our job is to take these things and say, God, this is hard. Help me get through it. And the good news of all of this is Jesus says that the angels in heaven rejoice. I love when somebody comes to Christ. I really love it when somebody comes to Christ and they're excited about their new life. But you know, as much as I love it, there's a party going on in heaven. There's rejoicing going on in heaven when somebody comes back to God. I I can't wait to get to heaven and see the rejoicing. Maybe I'll see some of these parties up there. Maybe I'll be part of the parties up there. Um, we're not becoming angels, but maybe we can be part of the the parties up there when the angels are rejoicing and going, "What's going on? Oh, somebody got saved! Oh, wonderful! Somebody got saved! There's going to be a new person coming to heaven here very shortly." Do we take that joy when somebody gets saved? If you really have that kind of joy, are you sharing gospel with people to see people get saved? We all hopefully know people that are lost. Now, I know you've talked about this many times, have you shared the gospel with the members of your family? I hope you've shared it with your immediate family. That would be awful if you don't love your immediate family enough to get them to the gospel message. But what about your extended family? Have you shared it? Now does this mean that every time you see them you should be telling them the gospel? I don't think that would be a very wise idea because if they're not saved and all you ever do is talk about the gospel message, you're not going to be invited to very many activities with them. They're going to see you coming and going. Up, oh, go the other direction. Uh, you know, Ralph's coming again. He's going to he's going to tell us about Jesus again. But I do tell them enough to probably irritate them. You know, because it's important. This is a eternal decision that they've got to make. And it's an eternal decision, but we don't know how much longer they have. And we've talked about this. Every one of us is planning to go home this uh, right after church at some point. <laughs> some of us longer than others. <laughs> and we probably will make it home. But none of us are guaranteed even to leave the building, much less to get home. Do we have that sense of urgency with our family and friends? I've heard people go, well, I don't want to lose friends over this. Well, you're going to lose them one way or the other. Once they die in their sin, they're going to go to hell. You're going to lose them anyway, so why invest into something that, that is not going to be there? Share the gospel with your friends. Tell them about Jesus. What is the worst they're going to do, not be your friend? Well, they're going to be very angry with you if they go to hell because you never told them about God. And at that point, it's way too late because at that time, they're standing at the white throne judgment. I want them to know, I, I want to be like Paul. I am not guilty of any man's blood. Now I can't say that because there are some people that I know that I didn't share the gospel with like I should have at various times, but I do share the gospel with a lot of people. But I don't want anybody to be one that says, why didn't you tell me? You knew this was coming and you didn't tell me. Now not everybody we talk to is gonna get saved, but our job is simply to tell and wait for this rejoicing. In heaven, they have parties. I can't imagine how many parties are going on in heaven all the time, maybe it's an all the time party. You know, this person just got saved, oh, this person just got saved, and parties going on all the time, I don't know. I don't know how many people get saved. But there's rejoicing in heaven when somebody gets saved. I love when people get saved. I love how excited they get because they have a new life and they're excited. You know, sometimes they're hard to be around because I'm reminded how excited I'm not all the time. And I love God greatly, and I'm pretty excited about God all the time. But there's when I'm around a newborn Christian with all of their excitement, it's wonderful. And we need more of it. I'd love to see our church filled with lots and lots of new Christians. Let's go out there and get all those people nobody wants to talk to and talk to them. Let them know that God loves them. Just fill this place up with people nobody wants. God wants them. God wants them greatly, and we need to have them come to Christ and follow up with this because of the great love that God has for the lost world. For the great love he has for us who once were lost. For the great love he has for us who are still sinners. Now, part of the problem that we have as Christians is sometimes we forget that we're still sinners. You know, we think somehow we're better than the rest of the world because we go to church, we read our Bible, we pray and forget about, you know, well, God, you know, my sin is not quite as bad as their sin. Yeah, you know, I tell a few lies, I tell I gossip a few times, I have a few bad thoughts, but I'm really not as bad as those guys. You know, and I know how easy it is to do that because I hear it at the prison all the time. Well, I'm a pretty good person, I'm better than everybody I know. I hear that so often from the prisoners. I go, who, do you, who else do you know that's not a prisoner? Well, most of them are prisoners. Alright, wonderful, you're better than all the other prisoners. <laughs> now, that's a really good stand. But don't we hear the same thing out here? And unfortunately, don't we sometimes do the same thing? I'm better than most of the people that I know. And God says, we have problems with sin. Now, our sins may be different from their sins. But sin is sin in God's eyes. One sin is all it takes to to miss heaven. And this is why we are forgiven by grace, and we put on the righteousness of Christ. Our goal is simple. Tell people they need the grace of God. He died for their sins so that they could be forgiven if they would just accept the gift. And if you want to be able to tell, you know, people ask, well, how do I give this? Well, how would you accept any gift? If I have a gift and I hold it out to you, is it yours? Well, technically it is because I've given it to you, but it's really not yours until you take the gift. Then you make it yours. God is holding out a gift to everybody in the world and saying, here is the gift of eternal life. Will you reach out and take it? Our job is real simple, hold the gift out to them. We let them know that they're a sinner, but that Jesus died for their sins and all they have to do is ask him for forgiveness. And this is the beauty of it, that gift is there. It's not by works, we don't earn it, we can't deserve it. Even those of us who've been walking for 50 plus years do not deserve it because it is still a gift of grace. If you've only been walking with him for five minutes, it's a gift of grace. If you've been walking with him for 500 years, Which nobody is going to, but even if you did, it would still be a gift of grace. And we hold out the gift of grace to people so that they can make that response. Lord, we ask you to help us share with others the gospel. Lord, put in our hearts the value of a soul. Lord, teach us to seek after you the ones that you love and to reach out and to accept all people where they're at and give them the gospel. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or even in this room that doesn't know you, we ask today that they will say the simple prayer, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe you died on the cross for me. Come into my life and save me so that they will be your children and they can contact a Christian to follow up with them. And we just thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and that's a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow Him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at chloridebaptistchurch, P.O. Box 65, chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.